listening to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1, 17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. Welcome to our summer series for 2022. We are actually going to look at some stories that have frayed knots from the Bible, from the Old Testament and from the New Testament. So today we're going to be looking at two women, one Old Testament named Abigail and one in the New Testament of a woman who, had, who was living on the fringe. We'll just say that for now. So as we do this summer series, our hope is that we can bring to life some stories from the Bible and help us see how relevant those women are to us and to our everyday lives and the frayed knots that we all go through. So we have never done this before. We haven't had our show revolve around just our own studies and sharing with each other what God has shown us in the Bible, but we're excited about it, and it's kind of a new a new adventure for this podcast for the summer. And these are women that for whatever reason, Robin or I have felt a special connection with when reading. So we've done some research and some study on, on these two women to see what was really going on culturally, what they were really facing if they, like if we could see them face to face and we're interviewing them. So I think it's going to be interesting and fun and we're excited about it. And we're starting off today with one of my all-time favorite women in the Bible, Abigail. And we can find her story in 1 Samuel 25. If Abigail was on our show today, she would be so classy. I know she would. She would be one of those ladies who knows how to dress. And she would be welcoming and winsome and very kind. The Bible describes Abigail as being beautiful and discerning, wise and intelligent. She was a lady that you want to be around. So I'm going to start with our Old Testament guest, but just looking through some of the verses that you can see. And actually, there are it's a quite a long passage. 1 Samuel 25, verses 2 through 43. So I will probably not read all of those verses, but we're just going to skim through and look at and talk about some of the things that are going on and see what we can learn from Abigail's story. So our story opens at a time when King Saul is still the king in Israel, but he is in his mad, 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 mad world time of losing his mind (laughs) and thinking that he really needs to kill David. Um, he has already uh, admitted with his own mouth that he knows David's going to be king. He said this at the end of 1 Samuel 24, after the first time when David spared his life. 
and Saul realized, oh, you know, you, you really are not trying to kill me and I, I should stop trying to kill you. And all of these things are going on. Men are following David at this time in the scripture. There's a reference to 600 men that are with him. So people know who David is. I'm sure Abigail knew who David was. It's, he's a famous and important person in Israel at this time. And the song that was evidently the number one hit of the day on the charts <laughs> was <laughs> Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. A song which Saul personally hated and tried to do away with, but didn't go so well for Saul. So all of these things have been happening, and a little bit later, after this story, there's another incident where Saul tries to kill David again, and then Saul eventually does die in battle, 1 Samuel 31. But David has not been yet named king, and he is really just living on the go and trying to survive and trusting in God. A lot of the Psalms were written during this time, and that's really a cool thing to connect with. When you read a psalm that you really see how David felt lonely or rejected or abandoned or scared, and some of these psalms were from this time, and he had not yet met Abigail, but Abigail was going to make a pretty important impression on him. So the story opens with this southern Judah. There's a place called the Wilderness of Paran, and um, there's a man who lives there named Nabal. And it might be pronounced differently than that. It could be Nabal. If you're in Israel, I don't know. And I'm saying it, if I'm saying it wrong, I do apologize, those of you who are fans of the story. So Nabal actually is kind of an interesting name. It would not be a name you would want ever. I've never known anyone named Nabal in my lifetime, and I, I would be surprised if I ever did meet someone with that name. His name means foolish, boorish, which is another way to say rough or bad-mannered, coarse. He was a scoundrel. He was harsh. He was very badly behaved. So this is not the guy you want to invite to the party. You don't want him to be your neighbor. You don't want him to go to church with you. This is the guy that you're like, oh, here he comes. Go the other way. And he, at this time in culture, he married Abigail, probably not for anything to do with love. This is a time in context of women were owned. Women were given in marriage by their fathers, and there was a dowry involved. It was a very different time. And it's not, the Bible is not describing how it should be now. This is just describing what was happening in the context in the day. So Abigail found herself married to Nabal. Abigail described in verse number three of 1 Samuel 25, describes that she was beautiful and discerning. And unfortunately, Nabal was running his house in a way that she was really just not valued, and he did not care what she thought or what she said. Um, There had been a time period where David and his 600 men had been staying near all of Nabal's sheep flocks and and goat flocks. And the Bible says that he was a wealthy, wealthy man. He had 3,000 sheep. He had 1,000 goats. And in that time period, 
that was the way that you equated, you know, dollar signs or value. The sheep and the goats, that's it. He was wealthy. And so while David and his men were camped nearby in this wilderness of Paran, they were really a protection for the flocks and for the shepherds. In fact, when later in the story, when the young man who works for Nabal is describing things to Abigail, he says in verse 16 that David and his men were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. So they were not just keeping them from harm, but they were basically uh, defenders. And they did not steal from Nabal or take any of the sheep. They just were um, really being kind and watching over these shepherds in the field. So there's a, a festive time that happens called the sheep shearing. This is a time of work, but it's also a very much a party time. It is a time to celebrate and have feasts and invite your neighbors. And it's a time of sharing that's a very common time in this context. So at the time of sheep shearing, David sent 10 of his guys. This is in verse 5, 1 Samuel 25. He said, why don't you go to Nabal and send a peaceful greeting? And here's what they would say. Peace be to you. Peace be to your house. Peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us. And we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. So this was a really polite way for him to request. It wasn't out of bounds. It wasn't rude for David to ask. He wasn't asking for something for 600 people. This was not him saying, feed us all. It was just a polite request for sharing in a time of festivities. Um, Hardly enough to feed 600 men, but maybe a substantial handout in a way of thanking David for his helpfulness. So in this moment, in this context, what would have been the right thing for Nabal to do would have been to say, peace be to you, my friend. Yes, thank you for all the uh, months of help and protection. And as a gesture of my thanks, take this you know, token of, I'm going to send some of this festive food and simple things like that. It would have been the right response. But sadly, <laughs> Nabal did not respond that way. So how did Nabal respond? Okay, so... Nabal responded by saying, and this is actually in verse 9 of 1 Samuel 25, Who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? Which, by the way, this is basically a belittling way um, when he's talking about the son of Jesse. This is not an honoring term saying, I respect his father. He's belittling David. And he says, There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? Can you hear the sarcasm dripping here? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And so here's a part of the story we see. David is not a perfect person. I'm sure you're all aware of this. <laughs> so <laughs> David responded in anger. He got mad. He did not like this 
message, and he said, every man, strap on his sword, and let's go. So he took 400 guys with him, and he left 200 there with the the baggage and tents, tents and all things like that. So can and we say there's a little pride in David? I would say so, because when he first heard the news, what could he have done, I suppose? Right. I mean... I guess he could have said, I just forgive him and go away. Ask somebody else. Yeah. But he didn't. He got mad. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we Which can... Which is a human response. Somebody very. has disrespected him mm-hmm. in a very blatant way, and that's a human response to say, uh, uh, yeah, no. Right. That's not going to happen. And if Abigail was not mentioned in this story, th- this would have had a very different ending because David, in his anger, was fully prepared to go and kill every male. Um, I thought it was a little bit humorous and interesting that when he talks about how his response of, I'm not going to let any male live, he's saying, anyone who urinates against the wall. <laughs> so I found that kind of mildly amusing. But his response in verse number, uh, let's see, would be 13. We're going. Let's, let's go. I'm not going to leave anyone alive, any male alive. And so... This is where the plot thickens, because one of Nabal's young men who worked for him came to Abigail. He knew, okay, if I need to, we're going to get something done to protect all our lives, I'm going to have to go to Abigail, not to Nabal. So he went to Abigail, and he said, here's what happened. Here's what Nabal said. Here's what David said. And Abigail immediately, this is what one of the things I love about her. She showed no hesitation. She was a woman who knew what to do, and she did it without any doubt or waiting around. She, she quickly put into action a plan to save the lives of all the people of the household of Nabal. She jumped to her pantry where she had a handy-dandy 200 loaves ready to go. I'm sure that some of you listening have 200 loaves today in your pantry as well. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Of course, who doesn't have 200 gloves in their pantry? It's also a context of the day, like, was that normal? I guess it was for their household. (laughs) But it was sheep shearing time, so they may have built up their stores for the festivities, but that's a lot of loaves. Anyway, so she's quickly packing up 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep already prepared, and five sayas of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs. And she got all this ready. She bundled it on a donkey train with her servants helping her. And interesting, I found when I was looking up kind of the details about this, there is a term from an Egyptian record when they were going to it fortify Ramses II. That it's a list of food very similar to this list. How interesting is that? So this is like she, at the time and the day, this is what would have been a good amount for an army to take for a battle. So she, it's just what she had on hand. She made do with what she had, and she quickly got organized. She is efficient. She's wise, and she does not hesitate. So she did not tell Nabal what she was doing because she knew he would not allow her to do this. So in this example, we see... Although she is a submissive wife, she had the wisdom to know when she needed to act, even in in a 
against what her husband's wishes were to save her husband. She was saving right. her husband's household by what she did. So as women, it's more we are more called to answer to God before our husbands even. I mean, like right. if, if we are told by God something that our husband's, her husband in particular was not a man of God and was doing things that were against God, so she went above him because of God and did what she was told to from a higher authority. And actually it was for her husband's saving. This is what she did saved his life. Um, So she went on the donkey. She had her servants go as well, and they went ahead of her. She, She knew that it would be wise to let David and all of his men be met with the supplies first to be um, softening his anger, to see, oh, wow, look at all this. Here's 200 loaves. Oh, maybe I'm not as mad anymore. So the food and all of the supplies are a little bit ahead of her. And she came on the donkey following those supplies. And the humility with which she handled things changed the game because she wisely took the the softening approach. She she accepted the full blame. The way she greeted David in verse, this is 1 Samuel 25, verse 24. She says, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. That's how she started the conversation. She is taking the blame, even though it really had nothing to do with her. It wasn't her fault. She was humble. She is saying, I want to be the one that, if you're going to kill someone, kill me. Which, of course, was for her to say that. David was looking at this wise, beautiful woman. He's not going to kill her. It helped him calm down. Um, So that's to say that, like, sometimes we can use our womanly ways. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. I mean, how smart was she? That she, she came at this in a wise and patient way. She didn't jump to... What are you doing? Stop trying to kill my husband. She just calmly and, and with humility said, oh, it's all my fault. This is all my fault. And she says, please don't regard Nabal, for as his name is, so he is. I think people in that day would have known that his name meant fool. And she said, <laughs> which is kind of a sad name. <laughs> but, Can you imagine having this baby boy? mother that you're holding in your arms and go looking at him and going, I think I'm going to name him fool. I just can't imagine. No. (laughs) And it does say in the commentary I looked at that it appears to be his real name, but it's unlikely someone would be given a name with that meaning. So it may have been an origin of another Hebrew word. And then his nickname may have been Nabal. Maybe he just became that in every way. I, it's a, kind of a curious thing about this whole story, honestly. So in this conversation that Abigail has with David, she reminds him wisely that that God is his Lord. She reminds him, she says, um, here's some of the exact words that she says, and this is um, verses 25 and following. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, 
Now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Okay, so let's unpack that a little bit. By the way, do you find it a little confusing that she refers to David as my Lord and to God as the Lord? (laughs) There's a lot of... I mean, I do accept that culturally. Yeah. I mean, if you understand the cultural history of that, that it's just kind of like saying, like, sir. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so she wisely says to David... Remember that you are going to be king someday. She even refers to it, uh, that, he, that, that God has appointed David prince over Israel. This is not, we don't know exactly the extent to how much it's known that David has been anointed by Samuel. But this part shows us that Abigail knows and that other people as well acknowledge that he's going to be king someday, that he's been appointed prince over Israel. She knows that David would regret in the future, that he killed Nabal and all his household for a reason such as not being given food. She knows that he would regret it. And so she wisely reminds him that just like he spared Saul's life and didn't shed his blood, she's saying, don't shed more blood. You're going to be glad if you don't. And this response is It totally changed the game. This was a dramatic reversal of destiny. David went from becoming a murderer that day to completely being a grateful recipient of this gift, and he turned around and did not attack. He took the gift Abigail gave. He blessed God. He thanked her, and he went back to his tents. He did not hurt anyone. He said, "'Go in peace to your house.'" I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your I am granting your petition. So this is a huge amazing moment. Abigail's wisdom saved the day. So this is where I jump into this like, oh, this if Abigail was here at the table, I would be wanting to say, Abigail, how did you know? How did you do this so wisely? You were so uh, on the spot. She followed her instincts that the Lord gave her. She didn't hesitate. She diffused the anger with wise words. And she was humble. And the end of the story kind of gets even better, I have to say. (laughs) And by the way, listeners, I'm not wishing this on any of your husbands. If you're married to an unpleasant man, I am not wishing this on your husband. Okay. But I am saying I do love the, the, (laughs) the way it turns out in this story. So Abigail, in verse 36, she came to Nabal, and he was feasting, and he was very drunk. She knew that it would be wise for her to wait until he could kind of understand, which is another example of her patience. She didn't try to talk to him at the wrong time. She waited. She waited until he was sober the next morning. And 
Nabal was so shocked when Abigail told him how close he had been to being slaughtered by David and his 400 warriors with their swords strapped to their arms. He was so shocked that he became like stone. So the Bible doesn't say whether he had heart failure or if he suddenly went into a coma or what exactly happened to him, but it does give us the picture that the Lord struck him with a devastating effect, a heart attack of some kind or a stroke, and he died 10 days later. And the ending of the story, the very last chapter is David realized that beautiful, wise woman has now become a widow. He was told about it through the neighboring society of all uh, how news traveled. And so he basically asked her to marry him, which <laughs> in, in a way very different from this is not a proposal that you would probably want. Um, but <laughs> he sent his servant and David, it says, David has sent us to take you to him as his wife. That's the so way he proposed. That's a question. <laughs> Just kind of a... <laughs> but Abigail was so glad, and she quickly was rejoicing. She packed up her stuff. She washed her feet, and she just immediately took five of her young servant girls with her, and she went to David and became his wife. So what a great story, right? And Abigail, I wish she could be here to be interviewed, but her example shows us that integrity and wisdom that the Lord gives can be used in a great way to be impacting for the lives of her loved ones and to be an example for all of us. She's a great lady. Yeah, so what I'm hearing too is, um, so she was married to this man who she admittedly said, he's a fool. Yes. He's a foolish man. He's not great. I'm married to him. He's horrible. Mm -hmm. Probably not a happy marriage. No. Probably some abuse happening. Mm -hmm. All kinds of things that she still... um, did what she felt God was telling her to do and lived in that culture the way that she was supposed to, Mm -hmm. but then also had the wisdom to still try and save this man Mm -hmm. who was so awful to her and everyone around him, knew when he was drunk to wait to tell him then because knew that he was not in the right mind to really get what she was saying until the next morning. And then... No fault of her own, he dies. Right. So, yeah, what a brave, wonderful person. Mm -hmm. And the deliverance that God gave her and the reversal of her destiny going into this amazing, she got to be the wife of King David. Wow, one of his wives. I'm I'm not saying that David did it right by having all those wives. (laughs) That's not, I'm not saying that we should follow in that. There are definitely things in the culture that are not necessarily God's plan. Right. But the way that God used Abigail's intelligence and discernment, I think, is an example of his plan. So I just love her story. Yeah. Yeah. She's one that someday in the Heavenly Starbucks I'd like to have a sit-down conversation with. Me too. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so now we're going to flip in our Bibles from the Old Testament, and Jill, take us to the New Testament today. Okay. So now we're switching to the New Testament. First of all, I want to say that the way, again, with the culture, the way that Jesus interacted with women in this culture is so moving, and I don't know how you don't fall in love with him, because women during this time period were not seen really as total citizens. 
They were, they didn't have a voice. They were subservient. They, like Robin mentioned with Abigail, there were dowries. If somebody comes along and says, if a king comes along and says, you're going to get married right now, it's not a question. It's just, this is what's happening. So um, I just want to make sure that we understand the culture before we get into some of these stories. Now, before we go into this woman's story, I want to read um, one verse from the Old Testament to kind of get into this. The very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, Malachi 4.2 says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And I need you to that healing in its wings is a very important part of this next story. So um, there was a woman who had a blood disorder for 12 years. She was hemorrhaging for 12 years. 12 years. 12 years. So, so not stopping your female issues consistently for 12 years. So in this culture, also, we need to understand that not only was she in physical discomfort for 12 years, she was probably broke from all the treatments that she tried. She uh, was in a social crisis because she could have no contact. If you were bleeding, you had no contact, no human contact with any other person. So she was considered unclean. She was isolated. She was spiritually separated because she can't go to synagogue. She can't go to the temple. She cannot be around other people. Her husband has probably disowned her. If she has children, they can't be around her. So she is completely isolated. Her life has been interrupted. And so here's where we pick up the story in in uh, Matthew 9. So starting in verse 18, it says while he was saying this, Jesus, while he was saying this, the synagogue leader came and knelt before him, Jesus, and said, "My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live." Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Then in verse 20, just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. So let's stop right there for a second. So this woman, let's go into a little bit of history also as far as um, her touching the hem of his robe and what exactly that means. The hem or the corner so back then, the Jewish people wore what's called a talit, which was a prayer shawl. And this was worn in worship and in prayer. And the Israelites put tassels, or tzitzits, it's called tzitzits, on the corners of their garments. They were like little tassels. Each of the tassels contained seven knots, which totaled 613 knots. And each of those represented commandments in the Torah. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, so, so 613. 613 knots wow. on these tassels, and this was their reminder of the commandments in the Torah, and they and it was a prayer shawl, so the especially the rabbis, the teachers would wear these, and um, they would wear them on the corners of the garments. Um, kanaf also means which is which was the corners of the garments also means wings. So healing in his wings from Malachi 4.2, there was healing that the corners of their prayer shawl was called their wings. Mm. So she knew 
If I just touch his wing, there's healing there. She knew Malachi 4 too. And she believed God. She knew she believed and trusted that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the Son of God. And so she thought, if I just touch his wing, because there's healing in the wings, maybe I will just be healed. So that's what she did. So I just think that that's just such a beautiful thing to understand. <clears throat> that not just, I mean, she was in this crowd of people, crowds of people around Jesus. And not just, I just need to touch him. But she specifically knew, I need to touch the corner his wing because that's where healing is that's where prayer is that's where the that's where Jesus power is if I pray so um I don't know I just think that's so beautiful mm-hmm. that the hem of the garment the tassels remind the person that when there's no place that when there's no place to go from Egypt God stepped in and got them out the tassels were reminded that he is God so they also had these tassels that were a reminder I brought you out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take you from here to the next place. Um, so Jesus can handle you. You can reach out to him, and there's healing in his wings. The next part of the verse says, um, so she touched his cloak. Jesus turned and saw her. He saw her and said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. So an, in another chapter, uh, or in another book of this, it talks about where Jesus says, who touched me? He turns to his disciples and he's like, he felt the power go out. He felt that he was healing this woman. And he turns around and he says, who touched me? And his disciples are like, what are you talking about? There's crowds everywhere. Everybody's touching you. How, what do you mean, who's touching me? And then that's when he turned and saw her and said, take heart, daughter. So I love that he called her daughter. Yeah, he calls her daughter. He doesn't just want to heal her. He wants a relationship with her. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the other part of this is just because you're in the vicinity of Jesus doesn't mean you get the power. You have to be connected. So there are all kinds of people in the vicinity of Jesus, all kinds of people around him. They weren't necessarily being connected to his power. They were just there. And I think we can equate that to things today. But this woman was connected. She saw him. She knew he would heal her. And he did. And he touched her. And think about the immediate change in this woman's life. Mm -hmm. That she immediately was able to go to temple. She was immediately able to be around her family. Have some status maybe make some money back from having to pay all those doctors. Like this was a life-changing moment, not just spiritually, but just in her everyday to day life also. She got her community back. She got her community back, yes. Wow. And also the uh, tassels were usually uh, blue, purple, and violet, which meant royalty. And Deuteronomy... 7, 6 through 7 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all people on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you are fewest of all the peoples. So these people were chosen and royal. They were a royal priesthood. 
because God chose them to be, not because they were more mighty, bigger numbers. And this doesn't necessarily mean royalty like we think of in like the Queen of England. This was, they were a royal priesthood. So their tassels were blue and purple and violet to represent their royalty of mm. their community. Something I love about this story is that we called, we didn't really know what to call her in the title of it because it <laughs> seems really, um, a rev, actually saying something about blood seems really kind of gross in the title, but <laughs> but we called her a woman on the fringe because she was on the fringe of society. And I just wonder how many of us feel like that. I mean, I have felt like that. Have you, listener, have you ever felt like you're just on the fringe and maybe on marginalized, maybe just unseen? unnoticed. Maybe you feel like a lack of community. Maybe you feel lonely. And she knew if she just touched the fringe Mm -hmm. of his garment, that his power was so great, he could change everything. And he did. He did. Um, She was on the fringe, but he saw her and he changed her life. And so I love, I wish she was here. We could ask her. Maybe in heaven someday we can ask her. I believe she fully believed in Jesus. Yes. I mean, he changed her life. So we will be able to talk to her someday in heaven. And I have a specific connection with this woman in particular because I had a night a couple years ago where things were really dark and bad and I didn't know what what was going to happen next. And it was a scary time. And I just remember over and over, and I don't know why, I just kept saying, I just need the hem of your robe. I just need the hem of your robe. And I didn't even know all of this cultural background of it and what the prayer shawl meant and all that at the time. But I just was pleading just the hem of your robe. And things got brighter. Things came about in a way that they needed to. So this woman, I'm going to hug around the neck the minute I see her. (laughs) So... It's really good. <laughs> so, and how awful to be basically on your period for, for 12, 12 years. years. It's horrible. Oh, my goodness. And she didn't even have the conveniences. They right. had such awful, I mean, just really gross old rags. That's really all they had to deal with. I mean, yuck. <laughs> for 12 <laughs> years. And so our, our sympathy and empathy for her, too, is just, oh, so sorry she had to go through that. And this is a life change moment of all of a sudden she can be around people, she can talk to people, she can touch people, she can hug her children, all of those things just immediately changing. And, I mean, again, remember, she's a woman back in this time period, so most of the people at this time were just like, she's just a woman, it's fine. It's not like she was a well-to-do man who had, who maybe they would have worked harder to get her whatever medicine she needed. But Jesus saw her, and Jesus called her daughter. Mm. Yeah, that's a great story. So these two examples in the Bible, we hope have been a lifeline for you today in some way, a connection that's relevant to your life, to your faith journey. We see in Abigail, someone who's patient and submissive and humble and God used her wisdom and he used her her integrity and then the story of the woman who was on the fringe that God saw Jesus saw her he he loved her and he healed her and that that could be you today maybe you feel that way 
So we'll be back again in a couple weeks, and we will have another woman from an Old Testament story and another woman from the New Testament. And um, let us know if you like this. Um, reach out on social media. Let us know what you think of it. We're going to just do this for the summertime, and then um, we'll come back to interviewing actual flesh and blood people after this. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone, we hope you have a great day, and, and we'll see you again in two weeks.